point. on SAFM. Good evening. Good evening, Songezo, and good evening to your listeners. Thank you very much for this opportunity. As you've said, today we are going to be talking about um, HIV and really progress in South Africa where we are and what it is that we are advising and even calling on um, the community to one, know and understand, two, to act on. So basically that's going to be my talk. And um, I mean, since um, the past month, which is November, in our run up to the World AIDS Day, which was on on the first uh, on Friday last week, as you've said, we have had a lot of talk, a lot of information on you know the the, the response to HIV and AIDS, the fight, um, where we are, progress. There's been a lot of scientific output. We've been given data. We've been given statistics. We've been given progress on targets, and some of this may be such that people can hear but don't know what exactly it says to them and deaf and the therefore what what do i as sita dimulifi sitting in my corner then do about this is there anything for me to do and so forth so today i am going to be as um you know practical as possible and try and simplify what is out there for people to get to understand it what we speak about what we mean by each of these um, um, areas that we always talk about um, in the media and also in a lot of discourse, either be it technical or scientific and the like. So today, really, my focus is understanding um, the 95-95-95, which are the global targets set by UNAIDS, and these are aimed at fast-tracking our progress to meeting um, a, a target that by 2020, we want to end AIDS as a public health threat. So we are saying that by 2020, we want AIDS not to be a public health threat. Um, and there are targets that have been set uh, for us to reach in order to achieve this. And this will be a major step towards that HIV-free generation that we've been speaking about for decades. Um, let me then unpack what these um, uh, targets are. So maybe for people to understand UNAIDS first. So UNAIDS is the Joint United Nations Program on HIV and AIDS. It is a global mechanism uh, that works to end AIDS as a public health threat by 2020. Uh, and you will know that, um, you know, um, there have been the United Nations um, Sustainable Development Goals that have been set. And this um, um, a, a, a plan to end AIDS as a public health threat by 2020 is part of those sustainable, sustainable development goals set by the United Nations. So UNAIDS is actually then a coordinating mechanism. It's a global coordinating mechanism, as I've said. Uh, their aim is to ensure that since there is um, HIV response uh, in many platforms, there are various um, platforms that are engaged with responding to HIV AIDS. So their aim is to bring this together uh, connect the leadership in all these platforms so that we're able to catalyze and from, um, you know, catalyze action, uh, you know, connect the leaders and have a joint kind of approach. We may not be doing the same things, but we are collaborative and we are having a joint uh, approach towards what we need to see. So this would be governments, this would be private sector, this would be communities. So this is the role of UNAID and it then leads on the strategy on coordination on technical support, as well as on advocacy. 
So now that we understand what the UNAIDS does, let's understand what these targets that they have set are. So these targets, first of all, let's understand. We are saying if we meet these targets, the chances of ending AIDS as a public health concern by 2020 are high. Actually, we are almost certain that if we meet these targets, we will see the end of AIDS as a public health concern. Remember, we will have people I hate to interrupt you, infected. Doctor, I really you know do. I beg your pardon. You keep mentioning yes. 2020. Is that deliberate or do you mean 2030? 2030. Um, it's, it's, um, I, I really, it's not intentional. It's Very 2030. Well. No, no, I just to um, maybe I also need to quite continue. emphasize that. Sorry. Yes, thank you very much for that. It's, it's, it's okay. So um, by 2030, we are aiming to, to, to do this. And remember, we're saying, we, we know and understand that we'll still have people who are infected with HIV. But AIDS, which is the end, sort of end point where people, the, the HIV infection has affected the body to the point where the people are sick, uh, the people have a lot of complications, they get routine infections, they are, their immune system is weakened to the point where, um, you know, they're having various uh, complications and diseases that are a, a, a you know, that are a, a result of their immune system having been um, 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 suppressed and compromised by HIV. So we want people who are living with HIV not to reach that point of AIDS. Now, what are the targets? So the first 95 says we, we need 95% of all people living with HIV to know their status. I will stress this, that all people living with HIV, not 95% of all people in, in, in the world, but 95% of all people living with, an, with HIV, meaning that if you are infected, 90, we want you to know your status. So if there are 100 people in the world who are infected with HIV, want 95 of them to know that they are infected with HIV. Ideally, of course, we'd like everybody to know. But if we actually hit the target of 95%, we are moving towards that goal that, that, that we've set. So it is important to therefore say, there are people that we know and understand to be HIV positive and therefore living with HIV, but they do not know. We want that number to be cut. That is basically what that first 95 speaks to. The second 95 then says 95% of those who are HIV positive need to be on treatment. So this means once we have found the people who are living with HIV, they, are, they know their status, the next step is to get them on treatment. And this treatment must be um, a highly active antiretroviral treatment, meaning that it, it, it is a combination of drugs that is known to be effective against HIV. Secondly, it needs to be sustained. So we would like people to start treatment and remain on treatment. Then the last 95 is that 95% of the people who are on treatment need to be virally suppressed. Viral suppression is the point where you are HIV positive, but when we take blood to check how much the quantum or the, the you know, the shall I say the amount, and this is to simplify issues, the amount of the HIV virus that is circulating in your blood, we want to check how how, how, how big that amount is. And when we say it is you, you are virally suppressed, we are saying that that amount is so negligible that through routine testing, we may not be able to find any um, HIV virus in your blood. But of course, there's always 
uh, tests that we are able to, to, to look at where we can pinpoint anybody who's infected and we can still test them. So the important thing is that your viral load must be so low and undetectable because your treatment is suppressing virus. Maybe to explain this, the HIV virus, once it enters your body, it multiplies. As, and, and as it multiplies, it then starts um, um, uh, affecting your uh, immune cells and uh, some of your body uh, organs. Um, and, and, and this effect is a negative effect in that it suppresses your immune system and it may attack uh, your, your, your organs such that their function, they don't function normally or they don't function adequately. So we don't want this to happen. And HIV is only capable of doing this when it is uncontrolled, when it's out there allowed to multiply. When we give you the antiretroviral treatment, we actually control it. We actually make it impossible for the HIV to do its work to multiply and therefore to make you sick. So this point where you are HIV positive, are taking treatment, are continuing to take your treatment, are adhering to your treatment, and you're on sustained treatment, and your virus is suppressed, is what we call an undetectable viral load, meaning some routine tests may not even be able to detect or see that you've got this virus because it's under control. Now, what is the importance of this? And I'm, I, I'm repeating the undetectable part where your viral load needs to be suppressed because once somebody has an unsuppressed viral load, we now know that this person will not transmit HIV onward. Meaning that um, when you have an undetectable viral load, we, we call this, uh, the, the, there's a campaign that is global that has been going on for, for some time now. It was launched in South Africa on the 1st of December, 2022, where we talk about U is equal to U. U is equal to U is undetectable, is equal to untransmissible, meaning an undetectable viral load means that the person who is HIV positive and is an undetectable viral load will not be transmitting HIV onward. They will not transmit HIV to their uh, sexual partners. And with developments, we also are seeing data that shows that you will not be transmitting also to your children, but it's important, it's important to continue treatment and have sustained treatment. So this is our aim. Our aim is to push through that everybody knows their status, is on treatment, and is virally suppressed. Because then there's a, the, the benefits are beyond just the individual. The individual will be healthy because their immune system will be working normally. It's not suppressed because HIV doesn't have the chance to uh, run around and do its thing, I mean, by multiplying. And secondly, you are not infecting anybody else, meaning there's also a societal benefit to this. So it's not just to the individual who's infected, but also in protecting their partners and therefore communities become protected in this manner. Now let's talk about what is it that we're asking people to do. We are asking everybody to know their status. So it's important for people to test, to do an HIV test, know where you stand today and then going forward. We'll talk about how you do the going forward. How do you then test? Accessing testing services. Testing services are available in South Africa for free at all public health facilities. So if you are going to be going to a clinic, to a, a, a community health care center, to a hospital, you can be tested for HIV. And if you request the test, you can be tested for HIV and it's free of charge. That test will not, will not cost you. And we know that, um, you know, it's not uh, everybody who can access the services and because of various issues. So where you are struggling with access and you feel that in order for me to safely uh, uh, test 
uh, uh, for HIV and to comfortably test for HIV or to feel comfortable enough to, to get an HIV test, I need to be at home or I need it to be private in my house without anybody else looking, or I need somebody to come to me and give me the service, or I cannot go to the clinic, they close at four, I knock off at six at work. There are various services that are available. And right to care amongst other NGOs and partners who work in collaboration with the Department of Health render these services in various communities. So it's important to reach out and understand in your area, if there's a health facility, understand what are the services available. You may find that there are community health care workers who are based at that facility who go out into the community and give various services, including HIV testing. You can arrange that those teams come to your home and test you, maybe your family members and your social networks in the comfort of your home or in the comfort of your social uh, setting. And also, you are able to also go out to private services because private services also give HIV testing. And some of the uh, services will include, uh, for instance, pharmacies, whether they be uh, private pharmacies or corporate pharmacies, you know, uh, it could be, um, you know, medical practitioners or nurse practitioners who have their practices. There are various other healthcare workers uh, who actually do give these tests, uh, physiotherapists and, um, and various other healthcare workers who've been trained and are able to give these tests. So please do inquire. But the last part is that we've got what is called HIV self-screening, which are test kits that you can use at home on your own. For those people who feel that that first test needs to be in private, I need to be the one who deals with what the outcomes are going to be. Then I can reach out based on my on, on my re results. I can reach out and see what services are available. So these tests are available also at public health facilities and at private. So again, find out in your community what's available and then go and, 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 and access those. You can actually test at home. Then, depending on your results, you then contact the healthcare facility nearest to you, be it a public health facility or private health facility, so that they can then assist you. If you are positive, we would like then you to have a confirmatory test. And if it also states that you are positive, of course, we would want you to then be supported with getting onto treatment and staying on treatment. And then if you are negative, we actually also want to support you because we want to support you with services that will help you stay negative, the preventative services. So now that I've spoken about this, I want to move on to what is out there for the two groups, depending on your on the outcome of your test. So let's first start with people who test HIV negative. Now, as I've said, there are services that we'd like to render to people who are HIV negative at the first test. These services will include uh, preventative measures. So the traditional preventative measures that we've always talked about since we have been having this HIV response are still at play. We want to talk about them, but we also want to talk about other options that are available. For instance, we used to talk about the ABC, um, where we we're talking about abstain, be faithful, condomize, right? And we have moved and said, um, part of prevention also talks to Start treatment if you are positive. I've already explained how people who are on treatment help with preventing onward um, a transmission of HIV. And then the other things are saying, those who are not able to do these for various reasons, we've got various reasons that we understand for some people, it's difficult to abstain. Uh, and some people not by choice because of some of the societal issues that we deal with, things like gender-based violence, for instance, where people feel they don't have the agency or are not always able to make that choice as to whether they'll be sexually active or not, and whether they'll be sexually active or not at on a specific day 
at a certain point in their lives and so forth. So we want to also have options available for them. The first options uh, speak to preventative measures before you are exposed or before a potential exposure to HIV. So this is where we talk about, for instance, uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis. This is important. Pre-exposure prophylaxis is where you take a treatment to prevent infection. So we're talking about HIV here, so I'll specify that. And when we talk about PrEP, and we're talking about PrEP in HIV, we are talking about taking treatment, and these are antiretroviral drugs, a type of antiretroviral drugs that is not given in the same way as somebody who actually has an HIV, is HIV infective infection. So the person who is HIV negative and the person who is HIV positive will be given antiretroviral drugs, but they will be given differently. The person who is HIV negative and is not yet exposed to risk, uh, to infection, excuse me, this person will be given what we call pre-exposure prophylaxis. And this is treatment. Currently, there are various uh, options, but the one that we found to be to have the highest uptake and seems to be um, you know, uh, more generally acceptable, and we still do need to do some work here, is, um, is, is the tablet, where they take one tablet once a day. And uh, this is also accessible at public health and at private health facilities. This is somebody who then says, I know I'm at risk of HIV acquisition uh, because of my lifestyle choices, uh, because of the situations that I've found myself in, or also because I'm afraid um, of, 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 of um, um, you know, my, um, my risk, my exposure could be because of some of the things that I actually cannot control. People who are, for instance, uh, in um, you know, in relationships where they are struggling to negotiate uh, condom use, people who are in relationships where they know that their partner is uh, positive but is struggling to to stay on treatment, or there are doubts as to whether this person will stay on treatment and remain suppressed, and also people who don't even know and may have multiple partners are not always in the know as to what the other partner is doing to man to ensure that they don't acquire HIV, and you know everybody who's unsure. Um, so, uh, or people who are in gender-based violence um, uh, situations where really you cannot predict what will be happening today or tomorrow. So many people are actually at risk, uh, but it's also an issue with perception of the risk. So once we perceive and we see, and we can support people with this, we can we, we have counseling sessions where we show you and map possible risks so that you are aware as to where you sit. And once you are aware of this risk, then you are able to then take a PrEP after a risk assessment, uh, if you are HIV negative, you are able to take a PrEP that you can then um, uh, take if you, for the whole duration of your risk. You can also stop if your risk um, is mitigated or you are no longer at risk. For instance, people who, there are people who will say, during December, I really struggle to control uh, my behavior and so forth. So December, for me to be safe, I know I need to have some, some, some extra layer of prevention and so forth. So these are, this is what is available. We are aware that an injectable uh, um, a drug is, is available elsewhere that also does the same work as the pill. Unfortunately, in South Africa, it's available through demonstration studies. So we're still doing studies to see how this can be applicable in the public health se se sector in South Africa and also how we can roll it out on a, on a, and take it to scale so that it becomes uh, available 
uh, in the whole public sector and not just to sections of the of the population. But it's also important to note that there are po po populations or communities that we find are lagging behind and are not reaching services. And we are, as NGOs, as government, and as various sectors that I've spoken to that are involved in the response, working on making sure that services are brought to the people. So one of the important things is to also understand in communities that there will be services that are available for you, even if you don't see yourself as somebody who's traditionally uh, considered in the setting of, of, of planning for services. For instance, we've got key populations. We've got people who inject uh, uh, drugs, who find, who, who sometimes feel that they're not part of, they're not part of the response. They're not part of the solution. Um, and so um, uh, we have programs that we can speak to in the Q&A because I do want to move to the next 95. So once we know that you are positive, then we start you on treatment. Again, services available for the public and, pub and private sector where we can actually plan with you your journey, where we get to understand what your issues are, for instance, what are your access issues, how available are you to come to clinics, how can we schedule your appointments, how can we integrate your appointments with other services that you may need to access. For instance, sexual reproductive health. For instance, you are, if you're already on other chronic medication, you are coming to the clinic monthly for your antihypertensives or for your diabetic medication, or you are a mother who has a child. How do we um, uh, integrate your services so that when you come to the clinic, you get a full service package and we minimize uh, the inconvenience um, uh, uh, for you. Then I want to speak about viral load. Viral load um, suppression comes with starting treatment, continuing treatment, and lastly, sustaining the treatment and remaining in care. It's important to note that we know and understand that various community members are affected by issues relating to difficulties in access. For instance, people are working, people are living far from, 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 from healthcare facilities, they struggle with transportation, they struggle with time off, they struggle with the times that the clinics are open. So it's important to know and understand that, again, through government services, and um, the partners that work with government, including the private sector, including um, uh, CBOs, community-based organizations, faith-based organizations, and um, uh, you know other NGOs, including Right to Care and other partners, there are services that can be availed to you so that you are supported through this journey. So at each point of this journey, there is support available to you. What are they? What am I saying? I'm saying to the to the to the to the to the listeners and everybody out there, let's understand why. We want to get um, to the targets of 95.95. Let's know that it is possible because services are out there. We don't always know, but we can reach out and look at our social networks. Let's reach out to our public health facilities, to our private health facilities, and to partners that support government in the work that uh, in the fight against HIV. And let's access the service. Let's talk to people. Let's also come back and give feedback so that we are able, because true community activism in the health space we are going to be able mm, listening very attentively i wonder what happened to our dear dr seitati mulefi deputy chief of party at right to care I, I i was hoping that something like this wouldn't happen because she really was motoring beautifully here i want to know please what it is that you are hoping because you're about to wrap up. You're talking about the last 95%. That's the people on treatment. Their viral load must be suppressed. And that's, of course, a 95% of the people who are on treatment must have their viral load suppressed. You're talking about the three targets all at 95%. And you're in the position of wrapping that up. I don't have 
confirmation from the technical team that we have her back on the line. So the proposal is this. And I think, unfortunately, we're just going to have to move and perhaps deal with the balance of what would have been her submission in a substantive reply to some of the questions that I certainly will pose and some of the callers who I understand there are two on the line will pose to her together with a voice note that looks to engage this question. Just for the record, for those who've joined us midway as we're about to take a break at 2040, our guest is Dr. Seitati Mulefi, Deputy Chief of Party at Right to Know, I mean at Right to Care, I beg your pardon. We're talking about the fight against HIV in South Africa and the progress made thus far and some of the programs that are rolled out. And so far as it relates to the programs that are available, she had made the point that this will be addressed in the Q&A because she was running out of time. So let's take a very short ad break. Whatever it is, that would have been the balance of Dr. Mulefi's response. I will offer an opportunity just on the other side of this break as she and I then will engage in a question and answer session together with you at home in the 20 minutes that is left for the segment. Monday Lecture. Educational conversations made simple on The Viewpoint. on SAFM. Okay, so thank you so much, Dr. Seitati, and I beg your pardon for whatever was the challenge with the technical stuff there. I mean, these things do happen, so don't get yourself in a spin about it. I do have a caller from Cape Town. We're going to take a quick call from Cape Town, and we're going to take another one from whoever. Okay, so we have one call. Let's take that call, please, and then I will also engage him in what I have as notes that I would love, please, for you and I to spar on. Yeah? Is that okay with you, Doc? Is Dr. Malefi on? It is okay. Thank you very much. I'm, okay. I'm sorry, my devices, I'm not sure. Um, so I've moved to another device. I hope I'm clear now. Sure. Excellent. I hope you can hear our caller. Colin from Cape Town, good evening. Thank you so much for calling. Good evening, uh, Dr. Good evening to your guest. I was listening to a documentary Friday, and I was quite horrified to hear that um, they, they've got no record of how the age is spreading, but they got an idea from male to male, and homosexuals and things like that, and bisexual and that. Then I heard a story from a prisoner in prison that came out of prison. He was a drug addict. He's reformed now. He's, he's teaching the youngsters to stay away from drugs. And he witnessed so many rape cases in the prison. Now, what I thought, do you know how many prisoners come out on parole? 14,000 each year, maybe, and so and so. Part of their parole should be that they, when they leave prison, they must be HIV tested. HIV tested? Okay. They must be tested for HIV. Yes. Yeah. Because they come out of prison, they pick up AIDS and things like that. People, uh, males are being raped in prison right through the country. Now that prisoner comes out and he goes and meets a young lady and so and so and so. Therefore, I recommend that we start from the very, very bottom and try and find out. Because if you rape somebody in the open, outside of prison, you go to prison. But... You never hear of a prisoner getting another prison sentence for raping another male in prison. So I recommend 
that your role on condition that you get parole, you have a test for HIV and it gets recorded so that we know in South Africa how many prisoners coming out are carrying the virus. Thanks very much, Kogeza. It's on Geza. Thank you. Thank you so much, Uncle Colin Cape Town. Interesting thoughts there. It, it, actually, the, this last point that you raise, and I don't know how you feel there, Dr. Mulefe, is probably a three-way conversation between the prisons department, and this would be now under Lamola specifically, and yourselves in the healthcare space. Because, I mean, I would imagine, whilst it comes from a good place, there's always that inherent constitutional right that when you're talking about medical procedures, the word forced cannot be similarly used in that context. And, and this would, of course, run afoul the constitutional um, questions that are about bodily integrity. But I think it does come from a good place. But, I mean, that shouldn't only be for parolees. And I think it speaks to your broader point about testing, Dr. Setati. So ha- park that for a moment, because I had also taken a couple of notes. Um, and, and so this is just my brief response. Let's imagine we're in a conference, and I'm just going to make a comment for you then to respond at 2045. Of course, if there are other callers, please do call now, not later. We are going to run out of time. 6 2032 if you are calling. Alternatively, voice note or or any whatsapp 0614104107 the first 95 that 95 percent of people with hiv must know and i think it speaks to the testing regime and i'm going to get back to that as to why that in itself becomes somewhat challenged if not compromised but certainly it speaks to why society would be in a position in 2030 to say that at least hiv is not an issue in, as a public health care concern. But that testing question is located in a very nuanced context, and that is at testing centers, at testing centers, I mean, here's a voice note, I mean, a WhatsApp voice, I mean, a WhatsApp text that says, it does not give the clinic the right to force me to test. My right is violated. Pine Town Clinic is refusing to help patients who refuse testing. So if that example will be deployed, for instance, it becomes very difficult to convince a Dan in this context to test, even though he wanted to test. The fact that he's being forced to test forces him to have a, an antagonistic relationship with testing. And if he goes and tells other people this, as he has told me, and by extension, the listenership on SAFM, it becomes difficult to build a mutually respectful relationship with testing and to build that behavioral change that speaks to testing and the related advocacy campaigns that speak to testing become compromised. When you go to a healthcare facility, you're crying off stomach cramps and then you're forced to go and test where you know exactly what it is that is the issue. Or when you go to test, the nursing sister or the nursing brother shouts from the back of the room, those who are coming to test stand this way. And so everybody in this room now sees who is coming to test for HIV and AIDS. Those who are coming to collect HIV and AIDS results go to that cubicle and then people see that. So even how the testing is conducted becomes a challenge to the regime. Please um, consider your thoughts on that and how that can be improved. Of course, nobody's taking issue with the testing. It's, in, it's to be encouraged. It's like people being encouraged to test for COVID. Not forced, testing. Secondly, um, those living with HIV, 95% of those people must be on treatment. Again, very noble. We've got in this country the largest HIV treatment program. But that rollout is always subject to the availability of stock. 
and very recently had a conversation with somebody who was commenting, among other things, the availability of drugs at public health care facilities and how that is a problem. What can you share with us as to the efficacy of the rollout program of the availability of ARVs and similar medicine for the purposes of treating those who have HIV and AIDS, AIDS so that the second 95 target is indeed realizable? And then finally, people on treatment, 95% of those people must have a viral load that is suppressed, and that is to a negligible extent in that it's not traceable in the blood. Perhaps you should engage us in a language that confirms that does not mean because your viral load is suppressed and is therefore not traceable in the blood, you actually are HIV negative. I, I think it might have been missed the way I heard it, and of course it's not something that you were saying, but it's just perhaps the relationship between use of medical terminology to common man's language. Just confirm that that does not mean because you have a, a suppressed viral load, you are therefore safe and therefore having unprotected sex, for instance, would not still pose a danger to your partner. And again, of course, that for that to be successful, that um, viral load suppression, it, it really then does speak to some of the things that you are starting to get into, especially in so far as it relates to community responsibility or the responsibility of the people. Testing, of course, being one of them, but just behavioral adjustments, including but not limited to having a regime and a pattern in terms of being on treatment and taking your treatment and building it into your lifestyle. Because it is in the value of that or in how you engage your treatment and the regime you're on and the frequency by which you consume, that will help, if you will, that target, that final 95% target being met. And of course, I will then invite you on the other side of this response to speak about programs that are on the ground. Because, I mean, yo, it's, it's been a while since I saw... Uh, a government-sponsored advert on HIV and AIDS or a government-sponsored program on HIV and AIDS. And I don't want to reflect back on Love Life in its heydays of the late 90s, early 2000s, or that telenovela program, Soul City, which did a lot of work, and for whatever reason, it was canned. What is it that has since replaced, for instance, these very institutional programs that everybody my age knows about and maybe even younger but certainly everybody my age and probably older knows about because it was front and center of mainstream media and and public health care commentary and advocacy programs so that advocacy together with other programs that are on the rollout please share your thoughts with that as you will respond and of course at 2050 we have another call mandla in kimberley so perhaps after mandla in kimberley let's give you an opportunity to respond please dr mulifi mandla your thoughts Hi, Samir. So, how are you doing? I do well, sir. Your thoughts, please. I'm fine. Uh, I'm a first-time caller, actually. So, Thank I, you. I just wanted to ask uh, a question from from the doctor uh, regarding the the rollout of the injection. So, because there's all sorts of information on the internet, because some say that you know it's for it will be administered to to people who are are virally suppressed so uh, i just want clarity on that point whether is it for everyone or you know like for those specific people who are virally suppressed and and also the second point that i want clarity on is is um <clears throat> the frequency of that injection is it is it uh, once a month once every six months which injection are or, you referring to monthly please 
Oh, yeah, the injection that talk about that it's not now uh, available to the you know like larger public, so it's still under studies or whatever. Okay, that, very well. That you mentioned. Jay. Okay, yeah. I hope um, that okay. doc just just before Mandla disappears, do you get the question, uh, Doctor Mulisi? Anyway, let's play the voice note. Let's just hope that the technical team can make a connection with Dr. Mulifi. Let's play the voice note, please. And uh, this one, Gezo, and your guest, Jambo Africa. Yes. Happy HIV Awareness Month. Uh, you know, what I hate about our government, when it comes to HIV, they don't do enough. Apologies, Swangezo. And HIV has been there for a decade. We lost our families, but they don't do enough. COVID doesn't have even three years, but they managed to get the vaccine. Why is it so difficult when it comes to HIV? Last week on Friday, I was on Jobeton Clinic in Matosana to go to check my status. I don't say I would like to tell, know your status. Because of if you can seek, like now, it's too hot. If you can maybe collapse there, you give the doctor difficult tax if you are hiv negative because of age they don't know what to touch it's percy in matlosan percy in matlosan thank you so much for your voice note there and i do certainly hope that our guest has been able to get the essence of your question if not all of that question good evening song is on the brilliant team behind the scenes thanks for the informative topic once again i went to test for hiv on friday and i'm urging my fellow gender to do the same it was a wonderful experience that is donald in rustenburg who confirms with a photo as well as the results of course the results are his matter even though he has shared i'm certainly not taking any chances on popia so we'll leave it there but thank you very much for a very encouraging message there uh dear donald Good evening, Songezo. I once went to my local clinic to ask for the kit so I can test myself at home, but they refused to give it to me. What do I do in that case? Again, a question posed with a hope that our guest can respond to that. I think we, we, well, we're running out of time. We have five minutes, Doc, so perhaps you can just go on the home run with this and respond to as much of the engagements that have been put to you. Thank you so much. I apologize. Um, but let me first get to the viral sub pressed um, issue that you raised and I'll and respond to that. So first of all, yes, what viral, viral, viral suppressed means is that you are still HIV infected. However, the amount of virus that is visible, maybe let me try and simplify that, that is visible in your blood is so low that we then term it as undetectable is not visible as invisible uh, maybe maybe we can we can talk about it's not visible to your standard um, a way of checking for viral load so we want to see this hiv virus because we know you're hiv uh, infected we test you and we find that we are not able to see it it's at a level that is so low that we need to do an additional um, level of testing so now we go for the bigger guns in terms of testing but we will find that HIV because it's there. It has not disappeared. You are not cured of HIV. You still have HIV, but it's under control. It's suppressed. It's not multiplying. Because remember, HIV is um, causes the damage that it does because it multiplies and therefore affects your body negatively. So being virally suppressed actually does not mean you don't have HIV. It means you have HIV, it's controlled by treatment. 
what this u is equal to u means. It says undetectable is untransmissible, meaning when the viral load is so low that it is not visible in the language that I'm trying to use to simplify this, you then do not transmit it. So you do not transmit it even through sexual intercourse. This is what is important. So people who have a sexual intercourse, one is infected, one is not, and the one who is infected is suppressed, is virally suppressed because they are taking their treatment consistently, will not infect the one who is HIV negative. That's what I mean. Doc, Let me go I to do the want other to confirm Let's we have talk. only two and a half minutes left of this conversation. So perhaps you might just yes. want to speed through your responses. Great stuff. So um, in terms of the services and their availability, I think this is some of the issues that are being raised. For instance, and people not being uh, offered services or not being denied services because they haven't tested for HIV. These are the issues that we are addressing when we're saying we are giving a service package that is responsive to the community's needs. We understand that, um, you know, it's sometimes an interpretation in saying that we want everybody to know their status. Uh, there have been application of this in the wrong manner and that therefore you must. There is still going to be consideration to your human rights. We need to give you the information so you understand the why, so that then you can take up the services willingly, understanding why it's important to you and it's important to your social networks, to your sexual networks, and to the community at large. It is the same for prisoners, for instance, or people um, who are in under correctional services, um, uh, incarcerated persons. We cannot force them. And we cannot stigmatize them and start to think that maybe they have more HIV than everybody else. Maybe they are going to put everybody else more at risk than everybody else. Unfortunately, sexual behaviors uh, with people who are not incarcerated sometimes put them at risk similar to what may be perceived as the risk of uh, people who are in correctional centers. I then I would like to speak about the injection. So the injection I refer to is actually the pre-exposure uh, injection. The ones that are being discussed for treatment also are not available at this stage. But the one that I'm talking about that is pre-exposure before you actually are infected with HIV will give you this injection so that it prevents you being infected should you be exposed, should you have inter sexual intercourse as an example with somebody who's HIV negative, if you take this injection, it will protect you. That is the one that is currently under study is available at various research sites as part of those studies, but not publicly available to everybody who might need access. But once you have the results from the research, then we'll be able to say, to determine how it can then be rolled out globally. We, you talked about uh, issues of stock uh, availability. Stock availability, we actually have systems that look at stock availability and we call them uh, stock visibility systems. These stock visibility systems are able to assist implementers, managers, and everybody to understand what our stock levels are. There are guidance and, and, and you know procedures in place that assist stock. from a facility level how to manage your stock. And through these processes, we are able to say, in the main, we actually have stock. We just need to make sure that it is managed and distributed um, equitably in all levels, facility, district, province, and so forth. So these are these systems are in place to help us manage our stock better so that as we call people to come and get treatment, we know that treatment is available. Uh, and I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll end there. I know we may not have addressed everything, sure. but I hope the little that we did address um, is helpful. The plenty that we addressed is plentifully helpful, and we can only express our gratitude to you. 
certainly does beggar us to perhaps have this conversation in perhaps in a more one-on-one where we can actually engage in the question and answer. But I have to take news, and with that, I express my greatest and sincerest gratitude on behalf of the team and the listeners. Dr. Molief. Thank you very much for the opportunity, and um, uh, thank you to the listeners as well. Good night, ma'am. 21 hours.